This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Today, I, in light of everything that's been going on in the nation, I've put together a message I've entitled, Bruised Reeds and Smoldering Wicks. Everybody say that. Say, Bruised Reeds and Smoldering Wicks. Uh, You know, we're faced with a number of very, very difficult issues in our nation right now. Uh, As I speak to people, and I'm sure as you do too, many people are coming to places of despair. As a pastor, I have the opportunity to see things on a constant basis that maybe some of you only get to see in terms of the context of which you live or the context of... uh, a certain viewpoint uh, that may be limited to uh, some kind of a either protected vantage point or a vantage point of a certain stream of life where you live. But when you are a pastor and you have such a vast congregation of every strata of life from the very, very influential to the very powerful to the very wealthy all the way to the poor, the destitute, the prisoner, the sick, the leper. It is very, very challenging. And every so often in a nation, we have an event or a catastrophe that galvanizes us and moves us all out of our comfort zones into kind of a collective that brings out a sense of nobility, and uh, a sense of pride and a sense of nationalism in all of us. Uh, this past couple of weeks since the advent of Cyclone Adai, we have seen an outpouring of community, an outpouring of cooperation that has truly been amazing. It's been something pretty great to watch. Uh, we face challenges in our nation and with the help of God and with the values that are deep inside of us, uh, Christian values, values that we derive from a a biblical worldview. I believe that we have reached out to help thousands of our fellow Zimbabweans. Of course, we're reaching into Mozambique. We have all of our churches in Mozambique. So we have an outreach there. We've sent money. We've sent help there. We're also reaching into Malawi. We have churches in Malawi. So we're reaching out to them and helping them. All of these nations have been absolutely devastated. And we're helping Zimbabweans, Malawians, Mozambicans who really got knocked, kind of find their balance, recover from the terrible devastation of a natural disaster. I'm grateful to be a pastor of such an amazing church. I'm grateful for the way that you give, the way that you serve, the way that you pour yourselves out, and uh, the way you love. And yet, as I was praying and thinking about this, I felt like God really spoke to my heart. And I was looking at Jesus' ministry. Jesus, when he came to the earth, his ministry was becoming more and more evident to the Pharisees. How many of you know we have Pharisees in Zimbabwe? We don't call them Pharisees, but they had the same attitude of the Pharisees of Jesus' time. The Pharisees were men who were political in their approach to life, and their approach to religion. They wanted to be seen and 
they were using their power positions for personal gain. And they felt threatened by Jesus' successful ministry. Their approach was to destroy Jesus because they couldn't control him or they couldn't gain advantage for, their, for, the, for themselves through him. That's the nature of the devil. These were sons of the devil. And we pick up a story in the book of Matthew, and I'd like you to turn there, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to make this our key uh, scripture today. And uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and a great multitude, or in great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Everybody say, and he healed them all. Tonight we're going to be talking about healing and we're going to be doing an amazing teaching on hindrances to healing. But I want you to know that it was God's intention and Jesus' intention to heal them all. He healed them all and he charged them that they should not make him known. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. I want you to draw attention to this last part. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoldering flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name, shall all the Gentiles trust. Just tap your neighbor say, I'm a Gentile. Tap your other neighbor say, you're a Gentile. I would probably venture to say that more than 99% of us in this room are Gentiles. We are not Jews, okay? We're Gentiles and we put our trust in him. This is the prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. So here we see this story. Jesus is, is, is this Great rabbi, he comes and he rebukes the Pharisees when they criticize him and his disciples. And here's the words he used. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man full of compassion, filled with mercy for other people. But how many of you know that compassion, that being compassionate can be hard work? How many of you know that compassion does not come naturally to hearts that are filled with sin and selfishness. Tap your neighbor and say, now I know he's talking about you today. You see, we live in a world full of me first people. Me, me, me. Uh, there's, there's a movie. Uh, what's the name of it? Captain Nemo? Captain, it's, it's a little cartoon. Finding Nemo. Yeah. I don't know if you know that part where the where where the all the seagulls are looking at I think the fish or something and they're gonna eat him. This and, and they start going, mine, 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 mine. That's sometimes how I feel our society is. It's mine, mine, me, 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 mine, mine, mine. Anybody get it? Just practice a little bit. Say me, 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 
Mine, mine. Say, see, I told you, I am a selfish person. Just tell your neighbor, okay? <laughs> because we live in this world of me first, mine first kind of people, the natural man wants what he wants. What does he want? He wants what he wants. And we see our world becoming more and more increasingly self-centered, full of selfies, full of self-centered stuff, and being very nasty about it. Uh, it's a dog-eat-dog, survival-is-the-fittest kind of world that we live in right now. And God forbid that anybody should get in my way. You know, we just love to knock people down. Just look at the re recent rejoicing over Sir Wicknell. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, he, I mean, he was powerful. He was, you know, he was seeming to be in the, the groove and he was in the papers all the time. And now all of a sudden he gets, boom, he's in trouble, man. And, uh, or how about just the recent one where uh, Savior Kwasakuri lost his mansion? Well, you know, we love to watch people gain a measure of success and then we like to watch them fall. Tap your neighbor and say, I, I, I don't know where he gets this stuff from. <laughs> I think we eat it up. You know, I would personally never buy some of the tabloids that are out there. But, you know, I watch some of you and, I mean, you even bring them to church. I think that, that, is, that, that, that is not telling the truth, but you seem to think it does. Uh, but we seem to love all the slander and all the gossip and all the smears out of some of our tabloids. We like it when a person who mistreated us at the office gets knocked down a peg or two. Mercy and compassion are hard for us. But Jesus sees people differently. Jesus sees people, men, women on this earth, he sees them as fragile, fragile. He weeps over them as a sheep without a shepherd. He's in, he was kind and tenderhearted to the woman who was caught in adultery. You know, it's amazing to me. He was tender hearted to the man that was tormented with demons. Yeah. And even the Pharisees, even though he would give them stern words, they were always with love and out of a desire that they would have their eyes open and that they would come to a knowledge of salvation that had come to them. In fact, the whole book of Matthew is a revelation of Jesus' attitude towards mankind. And let me just give you a few scriptures to look at. Matthew 5 and verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they, shall, they, they will receive mercy. Matthew 5 verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Matthew seven twelve says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed 
helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, throughout the whole book of Matthew, we see Jesus and he's, he puts his compassion into action. And he heals a leper who asked if Jesus was willing to heal. He told a centurion soldier that he was willing to come to his Gentile house to heal his servant girl. He granted the request of demons to not be sent into a place of torment. Even demons. He freed a demon-possessed man. He raised a paralytic and told him to take heart and that his sins were forgiven. He accepted a tax collector into the circle of his closest friends. And then he went and attended a party in his honor by one of the town's most corrupt people. He comforted a father by raising his dead daughter back to life. He healed a terrified woman who suffered for 12 years and could only muster enough courage to touch the hem of his garment. Over and over and over, Jesus demonstrates his compassion for people, his compassion for you and I. This same Jesus lives in the heart of every believer. He lives in your heart. Just tap your neighbor and say, did you know that Jesus lives in your heart? Now, not only should we have an outpouring compassion for the sufferers of the Edai Cologne, Cyclone Cologne, Edai Cyclone, we need to have this same kind of compassion for those who live right next door to us. Some of the people that you know aren't devastated by a physical storm, but they're devastated by a spiritual storm or an emotional storm that is wreaking havoc in their lives. It's just as devastating as any of the storms we see in the Eastern Highlands. The only difference is that you don't see it on the outside but it's wrecking them on the inside. This morning I want us to receive encouragement for ourselves and I want to challenge each and every one of us with how we conduct ourselves in this world. How do we conduct ourselves in a world that is so wrecked? You know, we just read one of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture. Let's just look at it again. Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. It says, Jesus aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him and he healed them and ordered, healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He said, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed He will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and his name. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Three points and I'll close. I'll be a little long today because of, not because of me, because of all these guys up here. They took my time. (laughs) Tell the person next to you, say, he's going to go a little long today, but it wasn't his fault. Number one, I want you to know this, that we all fall short. We all fall short, 
So don't give up on yourself. Every one of us falls short. Every one of us has stumbled. Every one of us has fallen. We can look at the picture of the bruised reed and the smoldering wicks. And when we do, we found out that everyone, including you and I, all of us are included in these two pictures. Bruised reeds can depict those who have been beaten up or severely wounded by the effects of sin. They are broken by life, damaged in their hearts and damaged in their minds. Weak, helpless, hopeless. The Bible says they're dead in their transgressions. Dead. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of the glory of God. The effect of our sin is to kill us and to separate us forever from the life and the love of God. We are dead in our transgressions and hopeless to help ourselves. A bruised reed cannot be repaired. It is useless. You can't make music with it. If you make a reed and it's bruised, it won't have a true sound. Even if you, if you do it right, it's, it will not make a sound. It is literally useless. You can't build anything with it. And you can't bind it up and hope that it will grow solid again. The Bible says it is here today and gone tomorrow. A bruised reed. This is a picture of each and every one of us apart from Christ. Without Jesus, we're worthy to be bound and cast away. There's no repair. We're lost. We're broken. We're without hope. We could not repair ourselves. We could not save our own souls. We were dead, dead, dead. The second picture is of a smoldering wick. A smoldering wick is not completely dead, but it's dying. We can see in this illustration those who once believed. The righteous who once put their trust in God but have now lost their first love and have drifted away from the Lord. A a smoldering wick no longer produces light. The darkness has overtaken it. The heat it once produced is almost gone. In fact, all that's left is the memory of a glory it once had. A little smoke and a slight ember of light are all that remain. The smoldering wick is someone who once knew God but walked away from God. They became harassed by sin. Maybe they were enticed by pleasures. They failed to live a life of holiness and devotion. And now the full flame has almost gone out. They're full of doubt. They're full of despair. They're full of discouragement. They're like David who hid his sin with Bathsheba. And then he went on to describe his carnal life as one of torment and torture. They're like the church of Laodicea, which left its first love and had become lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, just lukewarm. There's nothing worse than lukewarm. But I've got good news. Smoldering wicks can burn again, but they need help. They need a reigniting. They need the breath of the Holy Spirit to breathe on them. Until it comes alive again. To blow their lives into a flame of fire. 
that the light that once burned brightly can brightly shine again. You see, for some, you need to be delivered of the demonic strongholds you've allowed back into your life through lust, through sinfulness, and through the cares of this world. All of us in this room fall into one of these two categories. Every person on the street that you meet could be described as a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. Life beats you down. Sin snuffs out the life of God. Every one of us begins as a sinner, lost in our sins, dead to God. Those of us who have put our trust in Christ are constantly battling the tendency to have our flame flicker or diminish or try to be put out. The Bible's full of verses that are about you and me, talking about this war that wages and rages. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. You can put that up there, guys. It's actually a scripture verse. Romans 7, verses 20. There you go. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Looks like I just put them all together in one. Second Corinthians, you can go to the next one. It says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Wow. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What a scripture. Distressed, cast down, destroyed. But guess what? Not perplexed, not defeated. Carrying in ourselves the death, but have resurrection power. This is how Jesus wants us to live. But it's a battle. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, what, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him in my salvation, my salvation and my God. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, God loves you and I. God loves bruised reeds. God loves smoldering wicks. God longs to deliver broken people from their brokenness. God does not seek to destroy you. He doesn't seek to knock you down. He comes to deliver you and to bring you to a place of great peace. We all fall short of God's glory. That's why Jesus had to come. You know, so often, I was talking to a little girl the other day, and she was telling me, you know, how God talked to her, her little heart. And she was in town and she saw a man and he was rough and he was gruff and I mean he was beat up and he was in bad shape. But she just, she felt like she had to go talk to him. And she, she stood, he was sitting in a park on a park bench and he, she stood and she waited and she fought with herself and she fought with God and finally she plucked up enough courage to go over and talk to this old man who was gruff. He treated her roughly. 
she just said, hey, you know, she says, I, I'm, re- I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't, I, she said, and she started to cry. She said, I just, I just came to tell you that no matter what shape you're in, no matter where you're at, Jesus loves you. And I just thought you needed to know that somebody loves you and that God put you on my heart so I could come and tell you just how much Jesus loves you. And that man, she said that man began to just weep. Nobody had talked to him for over three weeks. No family member. Maybe some directions, but nobody had ever talked to his heart for over three weeks. And here this little girl had the privilege, not only of talking to him, and telling him that Jesus lived, loved him, but leading him to Jesus. I'll tell you what. Sometimes we don't know what it takes to touch a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. And I want you to know something. Every one of us falls short of this. But don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on what God can do with you and through you. Jesus shows compassion for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Number two, I want you to see people as Jesus sees them. Not only do I not want you to give up on yourself, don't give up on other people. Don't give up on somebody. Isaiah prophesied, and Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. A bruised reed he did not break. A smoldering wick he did not snuff out. You know the natural thing that you do with a bruised reed? Is you break it off and you throw it away. It is useless. It's good for nothing. And you know a smoldering wick. I don't know if you've ever had a smoldering wick in your house. But it stinks. And it produces smoke. So why not just snuff it out? Just get rid of it. It's dead. Jesus restores the reed to health and life. And he rekindles the flame of a smoldering wick. I think that's pretty amazing. But what about you and I? How do we respond when we see bruised reeds and smoldering wicks? You know, if we say that we love Jesus and that he dwells in our heart, shouldn't this same compassionate Jesus be seen in our lives? Do we break people who are bruised? Do we break them with our words? Are our words harsh and cruel? Are they being broken by our attitudes? Full of judgment, full of criticism? With our prejudice? Our racism? Full of condemnation? You know, we can so easily write people off. Ha! They're getting what they deserve. They, they deserve that. That's their comeuppance. Good on them. They should have tried harder to overcome that addiction. You know, we can fill our hearts and minds with hundreds of reasons why we just don't have time to help someone who is bruised by life. In fact, the, Jesus described it this way. He says, The love of most will grow cold. Our love grows cold. We just don't have love. We just can't. 
There are a hundred reasons why this happens. Perhaps we've become overwhelmed by our own lives and our own problems. Perhaps we just don't know where to start. Maybe we once cared, but the needs just become too much for us to bear. And so we just shut down. We shut our hearts down so that we're not getting hurt anymore. We just, we just can't take it anymore. It's just too much. I think of a pastor who went into an inner city church and took a new position there. When the head deacon came in, he found the pastor, the newly appointed pastor, standing at the window of his study, looking out over the city and weeping at the inner city's tragic condition. Everything he saw. And the deacon, seeking to console him, said this. He says, don't worry. After you've been here a while, while you'll get used to it. And the, respond, the minister said, yes, I know, and that's why I'm crying. You see, the problem is that sometimes you just see so much, you get hurt so many times that you just get hardened to it. We become calloused. We get calloused to all the street people. We get calloused to every corner there's a beggar. We get calloused to all the stories. We get calloused to being just full of problems. We can become used to the killings and the beatings and the hardships of this life. We can become numb to the children who are passed from foster home to foster home or the unborn children who are given up for abortion or the marriages that disintegrate in a, in, in a culture that's just really obsessed with self. We can lose compassion for the neighbor who's facing decaying health or the elderly person who's just shut away in some nursing home or left out in Kamusha to die. Yeah, that's why we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to ask him to let his eyes become our eyes. But you also have to realize that this doesn't come without a price. One of Christendom's great leading philosophers, a man named Francis Schaeffer. I read all of his books when I was a young man. When he was laying on his, dead, his deathbed, dying of cancer, here's what he wrote. He says, the only way to be foolishly happy in this world is to be young enough, well enough, and have money enough, and not give a care about other people. But as soon as you don't have any of the first three, or... You have compassion for the weeping world around you. Then it is impossible to have the foolish kind of happiness that I believe some Christians present as Christianity. The Bible talks about Jesus. He was touched by the infirmity of another. He was moved by compassion. Let me tell you, if you've ever been moved by compassion for someone, you can never go back. If you've ever been touched by someone's infirmity, something breaks on the inside of you. It doesn't change them, it changes you. Jesus didn't call us to live a happy, self-absorbed and cloistered life of indifference. He called himself the man of sorrows and he calls us to weep with those that weep and 
those that are lost and those that are broken and those that are bruised. And when we fail to do that, we've forgotten Jesus. Have we broken any bruised reeds lately? Have we snuffed out any smoldering wicks? Ask your neighbor, have you broken any bruised reeds lately? Have you snuffed out a smoldering wick? Was there somebody that really just needed a breath of the Holy Spirit and instead you crushed them? Jesus doesn't snuff out those whose fires are burning low. No, he gently restores the straying sheep. He calls for repentance. He calls for renewal in, a, in, 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 in the life that lost and left its, its first love. How do, we smoke, how do we snuff out smoldering wicks? Well, we create doubt in people's hearts. We create doubt in their minds. We discourage them. We kill their dreams. We tell them what they can't do. You can't do that. You'll never succeed. We throw cold water on their fire by tempting them to sin or leading them down a path that's away from Christ instead of leading them to the fire that is Christ. Are you helping lead people to Christ? Or are you pulling them away from Christ? There's a true story of a boy who suffered under the, Nazi, the Nazis during World War II. This Jewish boy was living in a small Polish village when he and the other Jews in the vicinity were rounded up by Nazi SS troops and sentenced to death. This boy joined his neighbors in digging a shallow ditch for their graves. Then they were lined up against a wall and machine gunned. Their corpses fell into the shallow grave and the Nazis covered their crumpled bodies with dirt. But none of the bullets hit this little boy. His naked body was splattered with blood of his parents. And when they fell into the ditch, he pretended to be dead and fell on top of them. The thin covering of dirt was so thin that it didn't prevent the air from getting to him so that he could breathe. And several hours later, when darkness fell, this 10-year-old boy clawed his way out of the shallow grave. And with blood and dirt caked to his little body, he made his way to the nearest house. And he begged for help. Recognized him as one of the Jewish boys Marked for death by the SS, the woman who answered the door screamed at him to go away and slam the door. He was turned away at the next house as well and the one after that. In each case, the unwillingness to get into trouble with the SS overpowered any feeling of compassion. Dirty, blooded, and shivering, the little boy went from one house to the next, begging for someone to help him. Then something inside of him guided him to say something very strange for a Jewish boy to say. When the next family who responded to his timid knock at the door heard him cry, he said, don't you recognize me? I'm the Jesus you say you love. Mm. After a poignant pause, the woman who stood at the doorway swept him into her arms and kissed him. From that day on, that family cared for the boy as if he were one of their own. When you and I look into the eyes of a bruised reed, or we look into the eyes of a smoldering wick, someone that we encounter each and every day of our lives, 
do we say to ourselves, he or she is the Jesus that I say I love? Jesus said, when you do this to the least of one of these, you do it to me. I know we all fall short. Don't give up on yourself. Ask Jesus to help you see people as he sees them. Don't give up on others. Jesus knows and shows compassion for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. My last point today is point number three. Jesus fights for justice. And so should you and I. As Christians, we are to be above all a people who bring hope to other people. Sadly, in our day and age, we've become known more by our bringing condemnation and judgment than we do hope. We have to learn how to hate sin, but love sinners. We have to learn how to show compassion to those that are either bound by their own actions or they're bound by the actions of others. We must find ways to reach out to the lepers, to reach out to the, the blind, the lame in our society. We have to care for the poor and the helpless and the widow. But we must seek justice. What would that look like in your situation? How can you get involved? Perhaps it's time for you just to stop talking about abortion, but get involved with those who are working at reversing the liberal laws that are being foisted upon our nation through special interest groups that have been funded and are funding anti-family and anti-life agendas. I think it's time for some of us to step up and say, no, that's enough. That is unjust. Forcing us to have all kinds of vaccines today that none of us know about, nobody's done the research on, but because somebody in an office is getting a kickback or somebody in an office thinks, hey, every little girl should have a vaccine. We just do it. I think there's something wrong here, folks. We run headlong in this country after every new gimmick. 5G. What on earth are we doing with 5G? We can't even get decent signal with 2G. But we want 5G now. Has anybody done the research on 5G, what it does to human beings? Has anybody done the research at the wavelength at which that works? It works at the same wavelength as the human moisture in the body is going to cook you. But we want one of these every 100 meters. And around the world, people are rejecting it. But in Zimbabwe, no, no, no. We're running headlong having conversations about it. This is ridiculous. It's time for us to stand up and say no to some of these things and say not until we have researched it. You can't just foist it on it because a small interest group gets together in a back corner on a bry somewhere, puts a deal together, and there's money involved. There are principles involved and there's justice involved. That's what's more important. Perhaps instead of condemning the unbelieving family that lives on your street, you should seek to befriend them and show them the love of Christ and attempt to bring them to faith in him. 
Let me tell you something. I've never seen anybody come to know Jesus by beating him with a Bible. But I've led many people to Jesus by inviting him in, having a bride, talking, fellowshipping, giving them my love, my unconditional love, and they didn't even know I was a Christian until months later. And they said, what's so different about you? What's so special about you? Do you really want to know? We're doing these salt and light courses. I'm loving every minute of it. People that really don't know Christ. People know church maybe, but they don't know Christ. And they can't figure it out. And we tell them, you're not ready. No, you're not ready. You're not ready. And then one day we show them and tell them the story of Jesus. They're always ready for that. It's amazing. Instead of seeing Muslims or people of different races as terrorists or so different and enemies that, that, that we can begin to get to know them. Take time to find out that they are bruised and they are bruised reed and they need the love of God. They need the grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you can visit a local nursing home and bring cheer to an abandoned old person. Or take time to call on those who are sick or who are depressed those who are in prison. Now, I know we can't do everything, but we can do something. Tell your neighbor, you can't do everything, but you can do something. So what I'm calling for is not easy. It comes with a cost. We must learn to stop thinking so much about ourselves and start looking at ways that we can care for others. Not just the cyclone relief for a week, a month, or a year. We must Give even when it hurts. We must love even when we're being rejected. And we must have compassion for those who have less than we do. Mother Teresa grew up in Yugoslavia and responded to God's call in her life as a teenager. A missionary came and gave a strong challenge to give her life to teaching in India. And it resulted in her appointment to the city of Calcutta. Some months later, she saw a sight which completely revolutionized her life and would ultimately bring her Worldwide fame, and, be, and she became the Good Housekeeping's magazine's most admired woman. What was the sight? A homeless, dying woman lying in the gutter, being eaten by rats. Compassion compelled her to beg an abandoned Hindu te temple from the government. And she converted it into a crude makeshift hospital for the dying. A comment of hers became her life's thrust. She said this, if there's a God in heaven and a Christ we love, nobody should die alone. Wow, what a heart. One final story. One winter night in 1935, LaGuardia, the mayor of New York City, showed up at a night court in the poorest ward in the city. He dismissed the judge and took over the bench. That night, a tattered old woman was brought before him for stealing a loaf of bread. She defended herself by saying, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She is sick and the children are starving. The shopkeeper refused to drop the charges saying, it's a bad neighborhood, your honor. And she has to be punished to teach other people a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. However, even while pronouncing the sentence, he was reaching into his pocket 
and he took out a $10 bill. He threw it into the hat with these famous words. Here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I am fining everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, a New York paper reported, $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, making forced donations where a red-faced shopkeeper, 70 petty criminals, and a few New York policemen. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You and I may not be Mother Teresa, and we may not be the mayor of New York City, but you are a child of God. You've been touched by the compassion of Jesus. He didn't break you when you were bruised. He didn't snuff out your smoldering wick. In fact, if you remember, he showed overwhelming compassion to each and every one of us. My question is, will we do the same? Today, we can continue to respond to those who have been devastated by the flood in the Eastern Highlands, that's good. It's a good cause, and we're going to continue to do that. But I want you to think about this. I want you to start thinking about all of those that are around you and I, family, friends, neighbors, beggars, colleagues, employees. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What can you and I do to show the love of Christ? What can we do to show the compassion? What can we do to heal someone who is broken or bruised, a bruised reed, or whose wick is about to go out for good? It's not too late to help. It's not too late to get help either. If you're in this condition, it's not too late for you. You're here today. You're bruised by life. You're broken. You're hurt. And you feel like giving up. I want you to know there's one who can save you. There's one that can give you a new life. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. You're here today and you feel like you're about to give up. The life has been snuffed out of you. You are a smoldering wick. I want you to know there's one who can help you. There's one who can bring that smoldering wick back to life again, ignite you again. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which a man can be saved except Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at today, you can't love if you are broken. You can, you can try it, but when you're totally empty, it's hard to give what you don't have. Some of you, the very people that love you the most, you treat the worst. Because you're so broken. You're so bitter. You're so angry. You're so hurt. You've become a bruised reed. A smoldering wick. Others, 
You were bruised from the day you were born. You're just bruised. Life's been a big bruise to you. You may not even know Christ, but today I want to give you the chance to know Him. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.